Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelley Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Sarah Rossio to the show. In her current role, Sarah serves as a Chief Product Officer at G2, a peer-to-peer review site for businesses and services. Sarah started her career in project management at Eaton Corporation. Since then, she's held product leadership roles at Power Reviews, GoGo, Navtech, and here prior to joining G2. Sarah holds a BSBA in marketing and international business from the Ohio State University Fisher College of Business. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks, Shelley. It's nice to be here. So Sarah, if you don't mind, please share with our listeners a little bit about your role at G2. Yeah, I'm the chief product officer, which basically means I have the gift of building and working with both vendors, which are software companies, as well as buyers to connect them via a digital marketplace. So we help buyers find the right software. It sounds really easy, but the, you know, peer review sites are there to be authentic and trusted and make sure that anyone who posts is actually a user of that software and really helps buyers find the answers of people like them. So when you have 120,000 software products around the world, and we have about 60 contacts a day asking us to add more software, making sure that they fit in a taxonomy the right way through a market research company, and then presented to buyers in a way that they can discover and compare and select that software is really exciting. So the cornerstone of what we do every day is just making people's lives easier. We want to be a trusted platform for decision-making on software and in the future services. I was surprised when I found out that G2 is actually here in Chicago because I had been a customer for a couple of years before somebody had woken me up to that idea. But as a customer, the breadth of products that you support is is ever-growing. And even I was talking to a SaaS company about some of their help that they do in the back end of like CRM and some of that kind of harvesting stuff. One of the things that gave me great confidence is that they proudly had on their website that you could read the reviews of their product on G2. So for me, that is a credibility builder, but it also impressed me that I had no idea that not only with like install-based software, SaaS is, is part of what other kind of products do you guys? So we focus on B2B software and then all of the ecosystem around software that you may need, maybe an integrator, a consultant, a VAR, to be able to manage and purchase that software as well. And we think about how the one piece of software is honestly connected in your stack and your ecosystem, so how you make the best decisions for that stack that you are populating and you have. I think it's, it's incredible, yeah. We're hanging out right now, and there's software on our screens, and we're being recorded by it, and it's, yeah, we just forget how present it is in our lives. Yeah, we actually found, uh, I was looking at people who are going to support like our, our desktops, right? And they had reviews on G2 as well, which historically previous competitive years, uh, they didn't get into things of that nature. It was And that was way long ago, way before cloud and SaaS was really a thing, but it was so much more just like an installable product. Uh, and that was really all you would find. And it wasn't, it wasn't very good reviews 
right? It was a lot of, it felt like, oh, this feels like the marketing department of that company. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the foundation of what we do is we just bring transparency to the voice of users. And I, there's something really special about that. I think at a time when, you know, we're used to in the consumer space, and we don't shop for anything without looking for a review and trying to understand, is that person like me? Why, why when we have to learn more about something complex that is probably going to be living with us, like Zoom or whatever other software we use every single day, you want to make sure that you're making the best decision that's right for you. I do have a question about that because you're right. We, we all do that. And at the same point in time, there's certain arenas, areas of, of reviews that I think are losing credibility, right? Like from an Amazon standpoint, right? When I think about their reviews, you got to, you know, are you, are you hunting for the answers you're looking for? Are you getting actual answers? They say authenticated buyers, but I don't know if it's just like, did they buy their own stuff and like leave a review? I, what, so is, that's got to be top of mind of like keeping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, any industry you go to, there's going to be a bad actor. And so you put processes in place to make sure that you can identify when those bad actors exist. We have a full moderation team that uses AI and humans to moderate and validate all um, reviews. I Before this, you heard Shelly say I was with Power Reviews before, which was in the consumer side space. And what you find is about 25% of reviews written aren't valid, aren't authentic in some way. They might be the companies or the competitors writing the reviews. And as long as you have those practices in place through moderation, you can make sure that you identify those. We do that. Anything you can share with us about how you do that? We do a handful of things. So one is we have to know who you are when you're writing a review. And we validate through LinkedIn. So we understand reviewers, you know, a lot of people don't create LinkedIn profiles to write a review on G2. That's, that's traditionally not a thing. They also have to share screenshots that they use the piece of software as well. And we ask a lot about the individual themselves. And we, we know when people are, you know, fraudulent, we kind of have studies. We can find out if people are also using certain language that's repetitious, that we can see them copying up reviews. You know, sometimes people do that for Audrey's, I don't, I can't prescribe why they do that, but um, so we, we identify that we have a lot of, the reason we put AI on top is we can start identifying these kind of rules where people look and do more research on it. We also, it's amazing what, if you open up to the community, what people will also tell you, our customers see things that don't make sense also, and then they raise issues and say, hey, can you look at this reviewer a little bit more deeply? Doesn't this make sense? This isn't actually something a feature we have that they're talking about. And so we're thankful that the, the whole ecosystem, whether they're buyers or software vendors, actually help us make sure we're better and we have a trusted platform. That's awesome. You know, you when we spoke before, you, transparency was a primary theme of, of your of your view on life and how you do things, but also organizationally speaking and and from the leadership at, at G2. Why is that so important? Yeah, I think, well, let me just start by saying I grew up, I've been in the business world for almost 25 years. And being a woman in technology, my voice wasn't strong and heard early on. And so for me now, it's like just acknowledging how I felt when I was muted and realizing how important everyone's voice is and bringing everyone in to the table to learn through all of the differences and all the diversity. And then when I speak transparently, 
I want to share the context with everyone because I know sharing that transparent context with whether it's customers or people in my organization, they can understand and do the work better and challenge me to be better too. And I entertain and I welcome that challenge back. And you only get that through transparency because you build trust and people can challenge you when you build that trusting environment. That has its own challenges. I agree 100% with you, but for some people, right, it takes a lot of bravery to do that, right? It takes a lot of commitment that people are going to criticize, right? Because you're, you're being transparent about your good, your bad. And it's easy when you, like, I own my own company. It's easy to do that when you're the boss. Is that something that you think you've always done? Is that something, because like, I think people get taught to not do that sometimes, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the the modern company has changed in the last 10 years. I think transparency, I, I remember about 10 years ago, someone saying, Sarah, imagine your best customer was sitting next to you in every meeting and every decision. And they got to see everything. And I thought, wow, how powerful is that? How beautiful is that? Because there are moments that we make decisions that I want them to know. And there's things that I actually am scared to do, but I also want them to know. And so it was that moment that sat with me about 10 years ago. And I think a lot of companies have shifted and they said, you know, we're going to share all of our financials with our, you know, employees. When I was thinking about it, we're moving to a point that even our algorithms and the inputs to our algorithms we're sharing with our customers. And that just honestly, what's interesting is sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes they say you should be better. And I say, thank you. Let's talk about it. That's why we shared it with you. Because they probably have ideas. And the truth is when you entertain in those type of conversations, and maybe it's because I have 20 years in product and I know I'm never going to have all the right answers, right? But if you actually engage in that conversation, all of a sudden someone will tell you something that you really needed to know for your product. And it motivates me, motivates me to be better. So I I welcome the conversation, all the passion, because the fact is there's nothing worse than silence in my world. Silence means they don't care if they're yelling, if they're clapping, like any, anything else that requires a, a voice and feedback is beautiful. And I just welcome it. I'm curious, Sarah, has that kind of, has this evolved in terms of your leadership style? How does it touch your leadership style now? And do you feel like you're getting the best feedback and the best communication from your teams because of that? Yeah, I think, and especially at G2, our culture has been more open than any other culture that I've ever seen. And so I've come to settle into it and really open up much, much more, even getting on phone with partners and perceived competitors and having conversations about how to change the industry, how to be better for everyone, all our buyers. And so I think it's really changed me as a human. And I, I let go of the potential fear of it just because I think the outcome and aggregate will be better. And to tell you the truth, I think my team's happier for it internally too, because they don't want me and I shouldn't be telling them what to do. They, they're connected to the business a lot more. And for me to say, I see this, what do you think? And then all of a sudden, you know, they have a voice and I'm celebrating the fact that they actually have a better strategy than I would ever have. I think that they, they welcome that. I mean, it's a transition. Let's be honest. It takes time. So one of the things you just touched on, I think is very interesting. So 
not just working with partners and your employees, but partnering with competitors. How is that working? Yeah, I mean, and maybe it's where we do it. So we sit engineer to engineer, product person to product person. And if our vision is the same, which is deliver this data or make sure we have this use case, and how we do it together can be easier for our customers and buyers. I think if we stay there and we find that unified vision, we can actually start making things better for everyone. And that's exciting. And I've actually done that probably for the past 15 years. <laughs> it's just, I think at its core in new product development, people just want to do the right thing. And so all the politics and everything else and fear goes away and you're just wanting to build something great. That's pretty cool stuff. I think you mentioned it. It's that the concept of like being confident in your niche is a relatively new concept. I mean, you go back to the nineties technology world, you know, Oracle and whatever, I forget the exact other company, but just how much they would go to war with each other. And they'd spend so much time and money and emotions just trying to pick a fight. Even, I mean, even if you think about the two thousands with, Google trying to take and get into offices space and all of those things. It's pretty interesting how much it has pivoted for other organizations. I worked for Nokia when Nokia died as a company, like, right? Like it imploded. And I remember sitting at a leadership offsite and having the directors and I was sitting there and they said, the reason we lost our way at Nokia, who was the biggest cell phone manufacturer in the world before Apple, right? The reason we lost is because we actually stopped paying attention to everything around us and figuring out really how to lead. And we forgot about the competitions in some cases. And so for me, it's be aware of your environment, figure out who your competitor is and how to collaborate, but don't be so arrogant to forget. But there was like this in different, different places, these closed walls, these acknowledgement or maybe semi-acknowledgement of where, you know, who was out there, but never paying either too much attention or not enough attention. And I just think that's, you know, close, stay close. Wow. Be confident, stay close. Or, you know, you have a massive, I don't know how old Nokia was when it imploded, but I mean, 100-year-old companies imploding. Well, the, the prologue to your story is uh, the Motorola story of, you know, again, Hubris thinking and Nokia is the one that knocked off Motorola. And I remember somebody, uh, I forget who we were talking the other day about this. And at the time when Motorola was very threatened by Nokia and, and right, trying to like suppress and make sure that they stayed on top, there was a third player in that story that uh, Motorola's leadership didn't care about at all. And uh, said they'd never be able to to compete globally on a mobile phone stage. Uh, and that company is Samsung. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I'm like, get close, because usually companies have different competencies. And then you learn more. You learn more about what you do really well through the eyes of your you know, potential competitors or kind of how to make sure you work better together. Yeah. For us, we're a data company. And what's surprising to me, and this is a testament to our CEO, he said the data needs to exist where people make decisions. So we will syndicate to anyone or to use the data in any application that our customers or buyers want to see it. 
which actually has this beautiful openness to it and realizing that data is only as good as in that given day. And we will continue to refresh it and make it better and better and better. So it keeps us always kind of on our toes. We always want to be better. We always want to be servicing our buyers wherever they are, because we know it's more powerful than just G2.com. So what is next? What's on the horizon? What do you, what can you share with us? What is it the customer of tomorrow is really looking for? I think they'll continue to care deeply about the transparency and the authenticity of data. But I believe, I mean, we have 1.7 million reviews. You know, some software pieces have, you know, tens of thousands of reviews. I think the buyer of our future wants some sort of insight and they want to make a decision quickly on what is meaningful to them. So I can imagine a world where, you know, all this data gets aggregated in just an easier way for people to use. And we've been experimenting on how to create custom personalized comparison reports and what's the best solution for your stack. And there's, I think, a lot of ways for software will and the buying experience will dramatically change. What is your single biggest challenge with today's environment? I mean, things, things are changing. We're post-COVID. I think it accelerated some things that may have taken four or five years from just even a demographic sociological yeah. standpoint. What do, you, what do you see as like your biggest challenge? I almost don't want to say it, but I'm gonna, I mean, it's, it's what came up first. I run an engineering and a new product development team. So my biggest challenge is talent, keeping talent motivated, keeping them happy, understanding what's in their way and how I can help. It feels so cliche for me to say that, which is why I didn't want to say it, but it's what I struggle with every day. It's just, especially when you're, we're remote first. So I don't get to see, I don't get to walk the halls and see them. And you can tell through a huddle, through the nonverbal, how people are hunching over. You can tell there's something going on that you can lean into as a manager and leader. But when you don't see it, you know, I, I said before, Slack channels can get silent. People get silent. You don't see it. Great point. And I, I know it's cliche, but I think it's only because it's universal is the challenge that you brought up. And, and it's very acute at this point. So it, I don't think there's, it's not just our industry. But, you know, every industry I'm aware of has this challenge where, I don't know about you, but like, it just seems like things take longer, right? What used to be a certain level of service is everything's kind of gotten a little less good. I don't want to be super negative, but it seems like there's, there's a certain issue of, and I think a lot of it just is everybody is thinly spread out, right? Like there's, there's not enough to do a superlative job at times. Yeah. I, mean, I was just on a call right before this. And just something that always keeps coming back for me is I think in a time when you're thriving, you place a lot of bets, right? You have 10 different things going and maybe they're all going a little bit slower than you want. And you forget there's 10 things happening. And in a time when you need to make trade-offs ruthlessly and you need to prioritize like it's three to four and things will move fast. And I think for a lot of companies, including G2, because you know we just got a round of funding and we're really excited and happy about our future, so we, our bets were placed. We have a lot of them. And so I think, should we go into a recession, whether you believe it or not, I think a lot of companies will start focusing more. And I think we'll change, the pacing will change with that. I don't know, what do you think? What do you think the cause is? 
I think it's just, uh, we got a lot of baby boomers leaving the marketplace. I think a lot of people in 2000, 2001 are like, I got five more years. I might stake today. Right. Uh, you think there was a professor at St. Norbert college back in 1994 who brought this up of with the baby boomers leaving. I call it the upward suck of, you know, the Peter principle on steroids of like people are getting jobs that they are completely not competent at because the necessity is there. So there's short term incompetency, but long term, it'll fix itself. But I think in, in the immediate that we're dealing with right now, there's just a lot of people who have left the marketplace. They had a lot of experience. There's a lot of people who are getting opportunities that, you know, and I think we've all done that where you've hired somebody where it's like, uh, are they really a senior engineer, uh, right? Are they an architect? They say they want to be an architect. They're kind of, right? It's not a senior architect. It's maybe a junior architect, right? And there's just not enough competition to like filter out some things. What do you think about that crazy idea, Sarah? Well, I was listening to you and saying, I wonder what my 100% is on this, meaning what I could do to change that if it's that we haven't been honest enough with people coming in about what our expectations are, or we're not training enough. That's where my head went. And I, I agree. I, I, it is uh, the real challenge. If it narrowed down in my mind, it's a profound lack of leadership in American management right? Like most companies don't do any management training or leadership training. They don't teach. Like my wife is a teacher. And one of the greatest gifts is being married to a teacher as an entrepreneur, because you're never going to get the exact right people at the right time to do the job. And even if you did, it's going to change in about 14 seconds anyway. So teaching and coaching is one of those skills that I think every leader should have. Of Like if you can't coach, you really can't lead anymore. It used to be come up with the best strategy, and then actually find the right people and execute. And like when people say like, oh, hire the right people and get out of the way, I'm like, oh, that's intellectually lazy, right? Like you should hire the right people, no argument. But your job is to like find targets that they can hit, right? What is the objective? What are you trying to get them to do? Because to say hire smart people and then get out of the way, that, that's not really going to answer the problem. They still need to know the objective, right? They need to know what are the tactics? What are we going to do on a day-to-day basis? What are our metrics that we're going to like? Otherwise, it's just going to be smart people swimming, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've invested a lot in this time of my career, leaning on my candor. Although you and I, you might not know this of me, but the number one thing people have said about me is, oh, you're just so direct and candid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we don't have time. Totally. Like in business, you don't have time for the nicety. And the real, and I was on a call yesterday where someone said, how do you give great feedback? And I said, this whole sandwich approach that we were taught like early on, no, no, it all gets lost. I'm like, frequent, direct, actionable feedback has to happen it, like all the time. That's why I have one-on-ones with everyone who works for me once a week because they're getting feedback. <laughs> Right. And I'm getting feedback on how I'm doing because they're, you know, they're also all need different things for me because I run different disciplines. But it's not fun to always be a leader because you can't, you don't, don't always have that. Like some days you're know, just like, oh, well, that was tough, but it's rewarding. And people invested in me. So, you know, and they've invested the time doing those same things with me to tell me how to be better and encourage me and beat me down. And, I figured it out. I coach lacrosse as well for kids and coaching kids is just like coaching adults. We all respond to the same things. And so 
constant praise is good, right? Like the amount of praise you can give people, you know, so often we're trying to correct the issues, but really we should be praising the victories way more than we should be correcting, right? Because that's where you're, I think you set what we call, you know, with a lot of confusion culture of whatever we're appreciating of people, we will get more of, right? So if you like that somebody got something done on time, say thanks. You know, they did a little bit extra, just say thanks, right? Say it out loud, say it to other people, say it in front of other people, right? And what I love is when I tell people this concept as a coach of like, don't get me wrong, every kid that I coach in lacrosse, if you call them right now, they would say that I'm a mean guy. I guarantee it. Because there is times that you've got to run and go hug a tree. And that's my penalty for not listening. You've got to go hug a tree. You know, it's nice and humiliating and a little fun at the same time. And they're kids, so you can do it to them, right? Adults, I don't think I'm going to be able to get them to hug a tree, but I, I'll give it a shot. But I do think the, the end result is it's all about the praise, right? So it's like when they're doing the right things and reinforcing the right things. And that is when I tell people this, I get a lot of feedback like, well, that's great. I agree. Luckily, I don't need that. And it's like, oh, really? All I know now is you are desperate for praise. You're actually afraid that somebody might praise you, which is why you're putting your shields up, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're afraid that if you get praise and then it doesn't keep coming, it's like a starving person that doesn't want to eat. And I do think that's a profound problem with most companies is that they don't approach leadership as coaching or praising people, right? It's about finding the mistakes and like ironing it out and like performance reports. I think there's a place for both. My story is if someone knows you have their best interest and you're going to put them on projects and you trust them and you're going to just, you don't need to say thank you every single day. And that's where I think a lot of cultures have gone wrong is they're so nice. Oh, totally. And they don't ever have the tough conversation. And I'm coming from a place, by the way, which is the, a company that has a value of kindness. And so like, I've never walked anywhere in G2 for the past two and a half years that I've heard anyone say anything harsh to someone. So for me, it's the balance of, okay, everyone's so kind. Let's like bring a little candor <laughs> and directness in. But I think every culture is different and leaders should know the balance of how to make sure that they're giving that praise and I agree 100%, 100%, because a conflict has to be part of it, right? Like you can't get to a high performing state with a team or an organization if there isn't any conflict, right? So it's how well can you do healthy conflict to your point of like candor, right? Being honest about what you would prefer to have next time, right? Without the accusations of somebody's capabilities or intellectual whatevers, right? And just like you said, be action oriented, like, Next time, it would be great if, right? And that's, that's a meaningful conversation, right? Yeah. But I think, that's, I think people need to, to learn how to do that, especially, and I, I shouldn't say especially, because I'm in this engineering space, that is woefully uh, not involved, right? People don't give each other honest feedback and it's just feedback of like, it would be great next time if, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea, you know, there has to be this moment of like, two things hitting each other for this spark of innovation, which I always believe in being a new product development for so long. It's like I, those moments when there's that friction, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good because people feel safe enough to share their input and argue for what's best for the outcome, right? And that doesn't have to be combative. It can be supportive and 
curious and people leaning in to ask more questions. And that's that's why I'm in new product development. I mean, that that's like pure joy. I love it, right? So that's an interesting question. So for you to be successful at your job with the idea of creating new things, and I think everybody who's ever been on a high-performing team knows that that kind of, not combative, but, you know, passionately advocating for what they believe to be right, right? So is that something that you have to like have like just part of like your core of being? Or do you think, again, I I don't know the role specifically, but I'm wondering, is that a necessity from your perspective or is that just how you do it? That's just how I do it. (laughs) Awesome. Being in new product development, I find that I meet a lot of people who are very different than me and very successful and they found their way. I just maintain conviction, a point of view and curiosity. And by the way, my conviction can change when someone educates me because I stay curious enough. You're not married to the idea. It's a good sign for most entrepreneurs too. You got to have resiliency. You got to be committed all the way up until you realize you were completely wrong. And you just let it go because the truth is, I mean, you guys all know, I mean, how many times, like for me, I've failed as many times as I succeeded. And if I don't want to get up again and try again, I've lost. And that's why I tell my team, like, sometimes you're going to feel like you're a failure. I got your back. Just get on up and keep moving because failure is sticking to the same position. In new product development, that's what I, like, I believe. If you're not moving in a direction, even like towards your goalpost, you failed, you've lost. And that's why I'm not scared of competition because like everyone's running. They're usually their goalposts are a little bit different. Interesting. That's great stuff. And I think it's uh, it's important to keep that mindset of like, look, uh, you're not failing. You're learning rapidly, right? I, I think that's part of the challenge that people have is like, you got to let go of being perfect, right? Like it's it's not a reality, right? Perfection requires stasis too, to your point of, right? You're perfect now. So are you going to stay here and stay perfect? Because being perfect won't last, right? So you got to move, right? So you, you got to go from, right? This great hockey coach. Somebody asked him, was like, so his phrase was, it's not if you win or lose, it's if you're winning or losing. And the idea that you will win some games and you will lose some games, but it's, are you winning or are you losing? And, uh, He used to keep score for the, they were in the Stanley Cup all the time, and he would keep the score from the whole series. So when people would say, oh, you guys are down three games, he goes, it's seven to six, right? You know, like, guys, you guys, these things, they don't matter. These these points in time of, did we win the game, right? Well, we're down one goal in my mind, right? So let's let's just keep going. So uh, it's, I like the focus that you have. On keep moving, keep learning, keep growing, be transparent. Transparency leads to challenging yourself, right? Opening yourself up, but also it does build a lot of trust and reliability with your employees, your partners, and maybe even a little respect from your competitors. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating when you ask what people will tell you. That's why I always say to everyone, like, it's fascinating. You ask and you just stay curious and present in the moment with them. You learn a lot. Awesome. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, it's been a blast. It's been fun. Thank you. And just want to say thanks for taking the time. I appreciate you taking the time as well. It was a pleasure. It gave me some more things to think about and challenge myself. Well, thank you. Awesome. 
We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.